In Mark chapter 13, if you would make your way there. The ladies had a wonderful day yesterday, their retreat, and I've just heard wonderful things about it. Good turnout, and sounds like the ladies were blessed. I asked Tracy and Marielle afterwards, we came to clean up, and I said, um, so do you guys like cry and stuff? And she said, well, yes, of course. She says, why do you ask? And I said, because there's like a Kleenex box on every seat, you know I mean? But anyway, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. The Lord blessed it. We're picking up where we left off last week. And um, as you know, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And so next week, we'll get back into kind of the movement toward the cross. But, but we've been dealing with... Um, the Olivet Discourse. So this is Mark's account of the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus taught these things, spoke these things specifically to his disciples. There's, we get no impression or no you know, clue that there were others that were gathered there, but his disciples were there. They had asked him some questions. He was answering their questions. And this was, no doubt, an intimate, intimate time between Jesus and his disciples. And so, wrapping it up, look at verse 32. It says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That day would be, of course, the tribulation and the second coming following that. Take heed, he said, watch, pray, for you do not know when the time is, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Therefore, I'm sorry, I forgot a word. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, what I say I, to you, I say to all, watch. And Father, I pray that you would clear my mind, first and foremost, Lord, so that I could teach your word with accuracy today, Lord. I don't want to be distracted by anything, my own dizziness or anything like that. I just pray, Lord, that you just give me a healing I pray, Lord Jesus, for the rest of us that are gathered here, those that are listening, Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken would be clearly understood, and the ones that are not understood, that people would feel free to come up later and ask questions. But Lord, we want to know these things. We want to understand these things, because we believe, many of us believe that we're living on the threshold of these things happening, the tribulation and, of course, the second coming following. So, Lord, as we always pray, give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us last week, you know that we, we ended, I say ended, we didn't actually end with these specific words, but it was at the end of our text, and I'm referring to verse 29, where Jesus said, So you also, when you see these things happening, you know it is near at the door. Jesus says, when you see these things happening, you know that it's at the door. It's near. It's about to happen. And yet in our text today, and of course 
There wasn't a week break that Jesus had. We had a week break. But Jesus just went on to open this section by saying, but no one knows the day and the hour. So that's confusing, isn't it? I mean, it's something that, from what Jesus said earlier, it's something that we should know. We should recognize it's near. It's at the door. But then there's also aspects to it of that day and hour no one knows. So which is it? Well, I hope I don't confuse you, but I'm going to try to answer that today. Guys, there's a problem. There is a famine. It's not a famine of food yet, though it's coming, I think. It is a famine of the word of God. And it's a self-inflicted famine. Uh, No one is keeping the word of God from any of us. You know, there was a time during the dark ages where the word of God, where the Bible was literally chained to the pulpit. And the common man or woman had no copy of the scriptures. They couldn't read the scriptures, study the scriptures on their own. They were subject to a teacher, you know, explaining the scriptures. And of course, it was a time when the, there was great corruption in the church. And a lot of things were introduced into the church that should never have been introduced to the church. But we're not living in those days. Right now, we're, we're free. We have, uh, we have all of our English translations we have the King James and the New King James and the NIV and the you know all these different translations. So you could find something that you could read to understand. You know, guys. Um, kind of side note, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, we're not trying to lord over anybody, but we're trying to help as many people as we can. Uh, It just came to my mind when I was talking about Bible translations because we've had people over the years, you know, they've come with their message Bible. That's not a translation. You need to know what it is. It's not a translation. It's something that was put together by one man. That's always a dangerous thing when you don't have the scholarship of the scholars. You just have one man that says that this is my version of the Bible. And so we would warn people, stay away from the message Bible. And because people like their message Bible more than the truth, they get mad and they leave. Another warning came just a while ago with the Passion Bible. Same thing. It's not a translation. It's one man. One man who's claimed to receive revelation from the Lord, not from the Hebrew or the Greek, but from the Aramaic. Stay away from such translations. There are many, many wonderful Easily read and understood translations of the Bible. Get a copy. Read it. Abide in the word of God. But the problem is, is that there are many people who profess to be followers, profess to be believers in Christ, and yet they don't really take the time to read or study the scriptures. They're dependent upon someone else spoon feeding them. And you know, that's a dangerous thing. Because depending upon who's teaching the word of God, we shouldn't put trust in any man. I mean, you know, remember how Paul, uh, he uh, admired the Bereans 
because they heard what he had to say, they accepted it with all readiness, and then they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. You know, they didn't take his word for it. They said, well, that's good. We, yes, amen. Now let's go back to the word of God. And what was the word of God that they had? The Old Testament. They went back to the word of God and they read the scriptures and they said what that man said was true. And that's how we all should be, especially in the days in which we live when there's so much, so much uh, that's not of the word, that's not of the Lord, that's coming from so many pulpits today. And because there's not... You know, there's, there are many who are not taking the word of God seriously. They don't believe the word of God. They're not reading the word of God. They're not studying the word of God. People are not looking for the coming of Jesus. I don't know how they interpret or how they see the days in which we live today. I don't know how they sleep at night. I would really be curious to know how they sleep at night. Maybe they sleep with the aid of something to knock them out. Because when you look at what's happening in the world, it's not just our country, in the world today. I mean, have you ever lived? Never in my lifetime have I lived. I'm an old guy. Never have I lived in a time where we have talked, where the media has talked, where those in the know have talked about World War III. Never in my lifetime. And I've seen many wars and rumors of wars around the world, but never World War III. Or so freely talking, I remember in the 80s, you know, there was a big fear during the Cold War that uh, who's going to strike first, Russia or the U.S., you know, and there was a lot of fear back then. But I'll tell you what, it, it doesn't even hold a candle to what we're dealing with today and the rhetoric that's going around today about these things. How do people sleep without the hope of Christ? What is the professing believer do with these things? How do they see these things? How do they interpret these things? Well, I'm going to give you the bad news first, and then we'll get to the good news. But we are living in the age of the church that is lukewarm. Guys, the book of Revelation is a revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, we have seven letters to the seven churches. The seven letters to the seven churches were written to seven literal churches that existed at the time that they were written in Asia Minor. But they also prophetically speak of the church from the apostolic age to the last day's church. We're living in the last days. You have two churches in the last day's church. You have the faithful remnant of the church of Philadelphia, and I'll touch on that in a moment. And you have the unfaithful church of the Laodiceans, the church that's lukewarm. The church, the, 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 the people, because the church is not a thing, it's people, right? So the people who are neither hot nor cold, they're lukewarm. And lukewarm describes compromise. And there are so many Christians that are more concerned about what their neighbor thinks about them than they do what the Lord thinks about them. It's a strange thing to me. It is really a strange thing, especially in light of the days in which we live. Lukewarm. It takes on the temperature of its surroundings. I think of what we've watched in the past few years, how the church has been transformed, not in a good way, in a bad way, in a very short period of time. Churches were shut down. When they opened the doors, they were not 
the same. People were shocked when they went back to their churches and they said, this is not the church that I left. This is a different church. And we have churches and we have professing believers who are so quick to jump on the bandwagon of these political movements, not knowing that they're political movements, like Black Lives Matter. It's a political movement. Have you watched what's happened with Black Lives Matter? The movement. They've been ripping off people. They don't care about any lives, but their own lives. But we have professing Christians that we need to get on board with that. But then when it comes to all lives matter, and by that statement I mean this, the life of the unborn child in the womb Well, I'm kind of perplexed. I don't know where I stand on that. I don't know. When does life begin? And this is the age in which we live. And I'm not talking about those outside the church. I'm talking about those inside the church. And I wonder to myself, what in the world is going on that a professing follower of Jesus does not have an opinion, a strong opinion, an immovable opinion when it comes to the sanctity of human life? in the womb or out of the womb. There's a problem with that. Because God is pro-life in the womb and out of the womb. And yet there's confusion in the days in which we live. It's been said, I don't know who, who said it, I don't know where I got it, I should have wrote down the source, but here's the quote. Satan will have us any way he could get us, but he prizes the lukewarm religious churchgoers far above the cold-hearted sinners. And I believe that's a true statement. Because the cold-hearted, the lukewarm, is such a stumbling block to the non-believer. You know, guys, why are we here? Why are believers here? Why aren't we just immediately snatched up to be with the Lord? So that we could be witnesses to a dying, perishing world. We live in a world of people that need Hope, they need salvation, they need to be saved, they need Christ, and that's why we're here. And we're not just left here to kind of, you know, somehow by just our mere presence be witness, but we're here to carry out the Great Commission, to share the gospel with people who are perishing. And boy, you don't have to look far at all, do you? Walk right out the door. You might not even have to walk out the door, because I'm sure there are people who attend the church that are perishing. They need Christ. They need to come to faith in Christ. You guys, some of you will know exactly what I'm referring to, but we are living in the days where Jesus says either, for you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Do you remember who he said that to? He said that to the church of Philadelphia, to the faithful remnant, the last day's church. Remember he says, you have little strength. You know, you're not a big deal. You have little strength, but you have kept my word. We're living in the days where Jesus is either saying this to us or he's saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Laodicean church. It's one or the other. Jesus asks the question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when he comes where? When he comes back, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You kind of think, well, yeah, Lord, you know, we're here. And you wonder the question that he asked, and you think, man, in light of where we're living today and 
and our culture and even the church culture that has become so lukewarm. And you say, Lord, I understand now. I understand the question. I didn't understand it maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but I surely understand the question now. Jesus will either say, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. Remember he said that to the church of Philadelphia, the remnant church, the faithful remnant church. Or or he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him. The unfaithful Laodicean church, the lukewarm Laodicean church. Guys, please don't misunderstand. Laodicean church is a church. You guys are, no, they're non-believers. No, it's a church. Because Jesus said to the Laodicean church, those I love, I rebuke. He doesn't say, I hate you, Laodiceans. He says, I love you. That's why I'm trying to correct you. That's why I'm trying to get you to get out of that lukewarm place that you've been. By the way, side note, but it surely ties into our text today, is this. Did you know that Jesus gave a promise to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful remnant last day church, to the church of Philadelphia promising a pre-trib rapture? Do you know what I'm referring to? Let me read it to you. It's Revelation 3.10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. When is that time coming? It hasn't ever come before. When is it coming? Well, obviously it's coming during the tribulation. This is what we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. So we're done with Mark because I want us to go to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. And the reason I want us to go to Matthew's account is because Matthew gives us a little bit more information than Mark did. In his account. So we're dealing with the same, the same thing. It's just Matthew went a little bit further than Mark did. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Look what he says. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Look at verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So here's the exhortation. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The common interpretation by many who 
are in my camp or I'm in their camp, the pre-trib rapture camp, is that those who are taken are taken in judgment. Those who are left are left for the thousand-year reign of Christ. That is the common interpretation of this text. But I mentioned last week that this week it might be a little bit controversial. And so this is, this is where I'm going with this. Because I don't necessarily hold to that view. Now, I'm not going to die on this particular mountain, you know, but I'm going but, but to show you why, why I, I think this might be speaking of the rapture of the church and not people being taken in judgment. Daniel chapter 12. You got to turn there. Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Daniel writes, uh, Although I, I heard I did not understand, then I said, My Lord, speaking to the angel, what shall be the end of these things? And he said to me, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed, Tell, so here's, there's a time here, tell the time of the end. We're living in the time of the end. Many will be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but, but, look at, but the wise shall understand. How, how, how do you get wise when it comes to biblical things? The Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible. It's not that we're wise, we're you know, intellectual in our own right, but it, it come, the wisdom comes from the word of God, knowing the word of God, reading the word of God. So he says, um, but the wise shall understand, verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 Days. Now, we're familiar with this because we've been studying this, haven't we? The abomination that caused desolation. We've been studying this. So we know what that's speaking of. And the time frame, we, because we know that the tribulation is seven years, and this will be set up in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into it, and we have the exact day, you know, time frame of everything. And then he goes on, he says, look at verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to to the 1,335 days, so 45 days longer. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So you can turn back to Matthew if you'd like. So here's the thing, just recapping very quickly. Tribulation at seven years. How do we know this? We know this from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, 77-year periods of times is determined for Israel. Has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with the church. It's Israel. We're not Israel. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. Don't get confused on that. This is why so many people don't know which way is up when it comes to Bible prophecy because they keep trying to insert the church into things that apply to only Israel. So we know it's seven years. We know that 69 of the sevens have been fulfilled. When Christ was crucified, that prophetic clock stopped. And it will not start ticking again until 
the prince who comes, who makes a covenant with many for one week, seven years, Antichrist comes upon the scene. So we know that it will be seven years. We know this from the book of Revelation as well. How do we know it from the book of Revelation? Because the book of Revelation breaks it down. It breaks it down to years. It breaks it down to uh, months. It breaks it down to even days. I love that about the Lord. Whenever I read things that are just so simple like that, I feel like the Lord's saying, I know what I'm dealing with. And I want you to understand these things. I, I know that you guys need a lot of help, and so I'm going to give you as much help as you could possibly, and, and yet still we're confused about it, which is amazing. So the second coming comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. I mean, we see this in the book of Revelation. It comes, you know, when the battle of Armageddon, all the nations come together. That's when Jesus comes back. That is the second coming of Christ. Daniel seems to set the time of the second coming as being three and one-half years from the abomination of desolation, which puts it at the end of the tribulation. So, Here's my question. How can the coming of the Lord be both completely unknown and at the same time somewhat known? Jesus said, take heed, which means <laughs> to look at. So listen, You'll, you don't know. But look at it. Why, Lord? He tells us, watch, which means to keep awake. So are you tracking with me? You can't know it. You don't know when it's coming. You'll never know. But I want you to look, and I want you to watch. All right, Lord. So what am I watching for? What am I watching for, Lord? And, and this is where we go back to what we've been looking at for the past few weeks, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says to watch for these things. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Remember? So, why are we to take heed? Why are we to watch? Because his coming will be sudden and unexpected. Well, kind of. You say, what do you mean kind of? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.4, But you, brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Hmm. Okay. Jesus says that his coming will be as the days of Noah were. So how were the days of Noah? Well, Moses tells us, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Moses tells us, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what Moses says. That was the condition of humanity at that time. But I want you to note something. Jesus didn't say anything about that in our text. It will be like the days of Noah. He didn't say it will be evil days, though they will. We are living in evil days, present tense. He did not say, you know, he, he just simply, here's what he said. He didn't say anything about the evil thoughts of men's hearts, people's hearts. He says they were eating and drinking and marrying. 
What did Jesus describe the days of Noah as? Life as normal. Guys, think about this. What we know about the tribulation, what's another name for the tribulation uh, concerning Israel? Time of Jacob's trouble. Remember, Jacob is Israel. You guys know that. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. <laughs> Everyone wants to insert us there. I don't want, I'm not going to be here during the tribulation. I don't know. You know, I heard someone say recently, they said, what if the Lord just let people, you know, kind of pick whatever view they had? The ones that want to be here, they're here. But anyway, he's not going to do that. We're going up as a package deal. But, but here's my question. What we know about the tribulation, what we know about the time of Jacob's trouble, will it be normal? Will it be life as normal for the Jews during the tribulation? Think about it, guys. Because Jesus, when he's talking, he's not talking about the abomination of desolation or before that. He's talking about after the abomination that causes desolation. Will it be normal? It won't be normal. That's why Jesus instructed the Jews. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, those who are in Judea, not those who are in Oak Harbor, not those who are in New York City, those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Don't go down and get your jacket. Flee. you got to get out. Why? Because the dragon is going to pour out his wrath upon you as he has many, many times in the past, it's going to be far worse. It's going to be on what your imagination can even come up with. It's going to be horrific. How about for those who come to faith in Christ? Is it going to be life as normal for them, eating and drinking and marrying? How can it be? If you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast, and those who receive the mark of the bees are lost they're damned I don't care what John MacArthur says about that they're damned there is no second chance for those who have received the mark of the beast it will not be life as normal so Jesus were you were you describing something else you're talking about watching you're talking about taking heed You're talking about a time when no one knows the day or the hour. Are you talking about something else, Lord? Or are you talking about your second coming? Because, boy, it seems like the things leading up to your second coming are not going to be easy. It's not going to be life as normal. In fact, Daniel described the time of the tribulation, the time before Jesus comes. He described it this way. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. The nation is Israel. Since there was a nation even to that time. I mean, it's like Daniel saying, I want you to understand how bad it's going to be. Not Daniel saying it, but Daniel's receiving this information and he's just simply recording it. It's going to be that bad? From Daniel's perspective, I mean, he's a captive in Babylon. He's watched Babylon be sacked three times and and people killed because they're Jews. And he's in captivity. And he said, it's going to be worse than this? Yes. Yes, Daniel, it's going to be worse than this. 
Jesus even makes it sound worse. For Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus says, You can't compare it to anything. Isn't it amazing we live in an age where there are Holocaust deniers? I mean, it's just amazing to me. But you look at the Holocaust, and I'll tell you, it's just horrific. People seeing these images of, of people, children and grown men and women, and I mean, literally, literally, literally skin and bones. And you just look at that and you say, what was their great sin? What was their great, you know, why, what justified them being treated that way? Because they were Jews. And there still to this day is an animosity among people who profess to be followers of Jesus toward the Jews. I don't understand it. I do understand it. Because they're not reading the Bible. They don't understand. To them, Jesus is a good old American with a trucker's hat on. Not a Jew from Nazareth. You know what I'm saying, guys? I mean, we live in such, I mean, you almost, you, you laugh about it because it's so ridiculous. Whatever, what other response could there possibly be? It's insanity. And yet this is where we are. This is where we live. So, how can Jesus come to a life as normal world and at the same time come to a world experiencing the worst calamities ever seen on the earth? How can both be true? Matthew chapter 24, verse 39, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. He's referring to Noah's day. Remember, that's the context there. The people of Noah's day were warned. Were they not warned? Peter tells us that, that, Moses, that Noah excuse me, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. Apparently, the whole time that they were working on the ark. And um, he warned the people. He warned the people of what? Coming judgment. And yet, what did the people that they ignored the warning? And when the flood came, it came suddenly and unexpectedly to them because they were eating and drinking and marrying and life was normal for them until the day that the flood came, until the judgment came. They were indifferent to what was coming because they did not take it seriously. And on one hand, you could say, who could blame them? I mean, they did have the, this preacher of righteousness. They should have listened to him. But, you know, if, if, if you go your own way. But what excuse does the church have to be indifferent toward the things that the Lord told us is coming? We have no excuse at all. This is where I'm going with this, and I'll, I'll wrap this up as quick as I can. Verse 39, took them all away. Those who rejected God's offer of grace and salvation were taken away in the flood. But so too were Noah and his family taken away above the flood. 
all were taken away. No one remained in the same spot. If, if Noah had anchors, you know, for that ark, how do you end up on the mountains of Ariat? Jesus warned his disciples to be ready for his unexpected coming, and yet Daniel says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. I'll tell you what, if I was here, if the, if the Jews were here and, and, the, and they're watching the abomination that causes desolation and they went to their prophet Daniel and they began to read, they would be able to just click off their calendar and say, we have, we have, we have 1,290 days until he comes, until this thing ends, until this thing's over. Unknown? No. Known. Maybe not the specific day, surely not the hour, but surely the time frame. Verse 40. One will be taken, the other will be left. You know what this sounds like to me. (laughs) It sounds to me what I would imagine the rapture being like. One would be taken, the other left. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. We've looked at this for the past few weeks. Then we who are alive, speaking of believers, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Taken. Removed. So, a few more questions. So is Jesus coming at an unexpected day or at a predicted time? Yes. When Jesus comes, is it life as normal or worldwide calamity? Yes. Is he coming in the air, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or is he coming with feet on on the ground, feet on the earth, Matthew chapter 24, Zechariah chapter 14, and, and many others? Yes. And the only way it could be yes It's because there is going to be the rapture of the church, the removal of the church, because we're not subject to the wrath of God. Are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? I'm telling you, time is running out. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to warn you. But you know, you could be a fool like the people of Noah's day. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, well, we don't know what happens. Or you could heed the warnings. Or you could just start searching the scriptures yourself and say, Lord, would you give me understanding on these things? Listen, this is why I think that this text, even though the common interpretation of the text is that the rapture of the church is not mentioned in the Olivet Discourse at all, I think it is mentioned. I think Jesus is referring to it here. I think the rapture of the church is that coming that's unexpected, that you don't know when it's going to happen. You surely don't know the day or, or, or the hour, but you could recognize the season in which we live in. You could recognize it's at the door. It's got to be closed. It's got to be. It's got to be coming soon. Look at verse thirty-nine. I'm almost done. Look at the word "took." The Greek word used there is "ero." Ero. 
A-I-R-O, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but arrow, and this is what it means. It means to lift up, to take up or away, to raise the voice, to sail away. That's what the word took. So if the ones that were took, if they're being taken into judgment, it's interesting that that word was used. To lift up, to take up or away, to raise the voice, to sail away. When I think of sailing away, I think of Noah and his family on the ark sailing away, you know, above the judgment that was being poured out upon the world. Look at verse 40. Verse 40, the word taken. The Greek word, it's a different Greek word used there. It's paralambono. And this is what it means. It means to receive near, to associate with oneself in any familiar or intimate act or relationship. That's what it means. Again, to be taken in judgment, to receive near, to associate with oneself. The oneself would be the Lord. In any familiar or intimate act or relationship. Hmm. I believe Jesus is coming in the air for the church, in the rapture. I believe that could happen in any moment. We must be ready. We must be ready. Guys, back there, please don't. You should be listening to this because you've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. These are serious things. And I'm going to tell you how we get ready in a moment here. But I also believe that Jesus is coming to the earth with the church at the second coming. And this will not happen. It cannot happen until three and a half years after the abomination of desolation is set up. It cannot. The second coming cannot happen at any moment. There are things that need to take place before it happens. So if Jesus is telling us to watch and to be ready, I want to close with this. Mario, you guys come on up. John's Gospel, John chapter 14. You guys know it. Very familiar portion of scripture. I've suggested that it's a rapture scripture. John 14, remember Jesus spoke these things to his disciples. This wasn't for the general public. This was for his disciples only. He said, let not your hearts, your heart, excuse me, be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here it is. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Note the sequence there. There is no order with what Jesus describes here and our text last week of the second coming. But it is almost almost word for word with what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture text. I've given you the outline before. It's amazing how closely it's related. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go again and, if I, if I, let's see. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. 
And how can we know the way? Listen. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not through New Age. It's not through Buddha. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through anything else. Oh, that's narrow-minded. I don't care what you say. This is what Jesus said. This is what my Lord said. So he's narrow-minded. He's the narrow way. He says, I'm the only way. And so you either accept it or you're rejected. I mean, that's it. Really, no apologies. That's it. And again, we live in this Broadway. Did you hear the last, you know, people are saying, people in the church, 75% of people who claim to be born-again believers are saying that Jesus is not the only way to the Father? What is wrong What is wrong with people in this age in which we live? (laughs) They're not in the word. They don't believe the Bible. They're not born again or they are so spiritually malnourished they don't know which way is up. Jesus used the same Greek word, paralambono, in John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That's that word, paralambono. Receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Listen, in John chapter 14, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He was not speaking of judgment. Can, can, can you agree with that? Was he speaking of judgment here? He's comforting them. If he was speaking of judgment, he might not have opened by saying, let not your heart be troubled. He might say, you know what? You better take this too hard. But he didn't do that. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Guys, it is the blessed hope Hope, a happy expectation of something really, really good for the believer. I'll tell you, I sleep fine at night with all that's going on because my hope is not in this world at all. And I, you know, I don't want to live through hardships, but I think we're going to go through hardships. I think we're already seeing the kind of the tip of the iceberg of the things that are coming. I mean, I could go down the list, but why bother? You guys know you live in the same world I live in. If you're paying attention to what's being said and what's going on in the world today, I mean, it is neck-breaking to see what's happening. We're watching governments implode. We're watching new regimes rising up. We're watching just what the Bible described. There's going to be a ten-nation confederacy of, of rulers over the entire world. We're watching this happen before us. It's going to be a one-world currency. We're watching it. Do you know that those in the economic world are telling us that our money's going bye-bye? And one day we'll wake up and say, it's gone. Can't get into the account. Don't know what we're going to do now. And I'll tell you, if our hope is in what we possess, we are the most pathetic people. Because we have Jesus. We have the Lord. Controversial, not so controversial. Listen, the application remains the same. Here it is. 
Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We must be ready. We must be ready. We must be ready because his coming for us, the church, is without warning. How do we make ourselves ready? Believe in Jesus. We don't make ourselves ready. He makes us ready. He makes us worthy. He saves us. He cleanses us. He does the work. We just simply believe in him. Believe in him. Examine your life. I, I I am so troubled by the things I see happening in in the church. You know, churches are closing their doors every every week. Maybe some of the churches should close their doors and not open again. But church attendance is extremely dropping, so it's not like people are just transferring to another church, you know. They're just deciding not to go. And I'll tell you, we're told not to forsake this especially as we see the day, what's the day? The day of all that we're talking about, approaching. And here's the thing, the devil doesn't win. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, the true church. But I'll tell you, it looks kind of bleak. I would hope, I would have, I would have hoped, I would have said, In the last days, the days in which we're living, I would have said Christians are going to be more on fire than ever before. The true believers are going to be on fire. They're going to be out sharing the gospel and they're going to be standing upon the word of God without apology. We're going to see men and women that are courageous and brave. And and the church is going to flourish, though it may not be the mega church, you know, but it's going to flourish. The true church is going to flourish and I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that apathy has set in even among true believers. And I'm afraid that for true believers, rather than even receiving instruction or, or even a correction, you know, we get our feelings hurt and we go boo-hoo someplace. We've watched it over the past year. I, I feel bad. I feel bad for men that don't have a dad. That hasn't been a dad. So the man doesn't know how to be a man. I know that doesn't make sense. But men who wear their, their, you know, their, their hearts on their sleeve and they just, I mean, the smallest little thing, they're offended. They're walking, man. And I just, I don't understand that. I'm so glad my dad, you know, my dad was not a believer. My dad did not know the Lord. My dad was a heavy drinker and, and all of that. I mean, there was a lot of negative things about my dad. But the positive thing about my dad, my dad taught me to have a good work ethic. I mean, he, he modeled it. He didn't just say it. He modeled it, you know. My dad took care of his family. Uh, you know, he never, we never went. We are never in want. He always took care of his family first. And my dad taught me how to be a man. To where sometimes you hear things you don't want to hear. But you just suck it up. And you learn from it. And you grow from it. And you mature. And that's what men do. 
And we don't go running every time, you know, it gets hot. We, we stay standing, you know. And I'm glad that's modeled. And I'm not seeing that. And in the church, we've, we've had people that have been offended about the craziest stuff. We're not going to be able to do a last song because I'm just ranting now. I'm so sorry. Maybe we just do a short little chorus or something. But honestly, it, it's so disturbing to me, you know. Oh, you're controlling me. I can't stand when I'm singing or I can't do that. You can do what you want. I don't care what you do. But don't do, don't do wacky stuff up here or we're going to call you on it. People get their feelings hurt. I'm going someplace else. Go someplace else. But here's the thing. We're beyond boohooing about our hurts. We're beyond that. We're beyond my life is so miserable I have nothing to live for. Okay, do you have something to die for? How about Christ? You know, let's move into the next realm here. You know, we're beyond that. We are on the verge of eternal life with Christ in his presence, in that place he prepared for us so that we could be with him. We're on the verge of that. And guys, we should be excited about that. And there should be a zeal within our hearts and we should encourage one another. And we should be people who have hope. I told you, I said to our, our men abroad, our two guys in Israel, when I dropped them off at the airport, I said to them, I'm, I'm getting their luggage out of the car, and I said, guys, now look at me, and they both looked at me, and I said, you may not be coming back here. And they kind of looked at me, and I said, I said but, but I assure you that we will Meet each other in the air. And then they knew what I meant by that. And I said, you know, guys, enjoy every moment you have in the land of Israel. Because eventually we'll all end up there (laughs) for a great reunion, you know. But we should be living like that. Our touch on this world, light. Amen. Stand with me, please. Father, we pray that we would be men and women who are zealous for the things we should be zealous for. There would be men and women who love your word. We'd be men and women who recognize our weakness, Lord. We don't boast in great strength, but we, if we're going to boast, we boast in our weakness because then, then, then we are truly strong in you, Lord. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be dependent upon you. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel this week. We share, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we want to look at people with hatred in our hearts, but we would look at people as messed up as they might be, as people who need Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We know why you haven't, because you're long-suffering and you don't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But, Lord, we believe that it's at the door. The time has come. Help us to redeem the time and to do it cheerfully. In Jesus' name, amen.